chapter 2. And I want to start reading with verse number 1. It says, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know your works and your labor and your patience and how you cannot bear them that are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and has found them liars and has borne and has patience and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place except you repent. But this you have that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now, of course, the, the book of Revelation is a book that some people are fascinated by. It is also a book that terrifies some other people. They don't even want to read it because they're afraid of the mark of the beast and everything related to a dragon. But Revelation chapter 1 tells us in verse 3 that blessed is the one that reads this. So every Christian should read the book of Revelation even if they don't understand all the symbols. Even if all the characters aren't understandable immediately. You are blessed in reading and you're also blessed in keeping those things that you understand. So John is writing to seven churches, and obviously these seven churches have drawn the attention of the Lord, and this is why he's dealing with the first one, the chief church, which is Ephesus. And in that particular area of Asia Minor, or Little Asia, this was the main church, and probably the strongest church of that region. In verse 1, the, the Lord talks about him being the one who has the seven stars in his hand. Now you can see the last verse of chapter 1, the seven stars, these are his messengers, the angels. So God controls the messengers, which means he controls the message. And what we teach in church, what we say in church, should reflect the mind of God. When it says the seven golden candlesticks, again, the last verse of chapter 1 says the seven candlesticks are the churches. So what is a candlestick? In the Old Testament tabernacle, a candlestick was a piece of furniture that had one single long stem about five feet tall or so and it had six branches that went out in different directions and with the seventh one coming up there were seven little bulbs or little areas where there was oil with the floating wick 
So you lit the wick and the candlestick provided illumination for anybody who was working in the holy place. The candlestick is important. You'll remember it was Eli, the blind priest in 1 Samuel, who let the light go out in the tabernacle. That means he didn't keep the lampstand or candlestick lit. So if a church is a candlestick, then we should illuminate people with God's word. And we should be able to encourage people with God's word. The scripture says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet. When we come to the house of God, the church should throw light on who Jesus is and also illuminate the pathway of redemption. And people's lives should be and must be changed by the illumination that comes forth in that candlestick. So a church should not be a dark place. It should be a place where the light of God is turned on. Now, even from a, a natural perspective, you know, in, if you've been in many churches today, you'll know that most modern churches, they like it dark nowadays. I don't even like that. I go to preaching churches, they'll have me up on the platform, they'll have all the light shining on me on the platform or on the whoever is in the band, and then everybody out there in the audience, they're out there in the darkness. So as I'm standing up here looking out there and the light shining on me, literally I can't see 20 feet in front of me. So if somebody stood up in the congregation and waved at me, I wouldn't even be able to see them. But I have always believed that since God is light and light is a reflection of who he is, then in that sanctuary, it should be lit up because you know what happens when you put everybody in the dark? They go to sleep. Not only is that a natural principle, that's a spiritual principle. You can put people to sleep by keeping them in the dark and not illuminating the word of God and different aspects of their life. So verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 2, Jesus is in the midst of the candlesticks. So in any church or group of churches that name the name of the Lord, Jesus should be in the middle of that church and have access to those people in those churches. Well, you've all heard the story before of the, the man who got on fire for God and was shouting and praising God, and the people in the church came to him, and they said, would you please stop that? Because we don't typically do that in our church, and you're making too much noise down here on the front pew. So they asked him, could you just maybe move back to the middle? So he moved back to the middle, and even in the middle, he was stand, still saying hallelujah during the service, raving his hand during the praise and worship service, and all excited about the Lord and would step out in the aisle and still want to dance and praise God. And they got with him again, and they said, we have talked to you about this. Could you please tone it down? Because you're a distraction in the church. Would you at least then move to the rear of the church? Well, that's what he did, according to the story. And in the rear of the church, they still couldn't settle him down. 
He was still making all kinds of noise and praising the Lord and joyful when the songs were sung until finally they asked him to leave the sanctuary after one of the services and sitting out there on the stairs, as the story goes, that one day a man walked up to him and asked him, why is he sitting on the outside? And the gentleman said, they don't want me in there because I'm too lively, so they put me out. And the man next to him said, I am Jesus, and I've been trying to get in there for years, and they long ago put me out. Now think about that. If Jesus is in the middle of the candlesticks, then he wants access and he wants liberty and the thing that gives him liberty is the proclamation of the word of God and the liberty of the Holy Spirit to work in the midst of a congregation so it says here seven golden candlesticks look at verse 2 then God says I know all of these different things so here we know that God is omniscient so there's nothing God doesn't know there's nothing hidden to God. He knows what goes on in the light. He knows what goes on in the dark. He knows their works, the things they have produced. He knows their labor. He knows what they are producing. Do you know God observes your day, your day-to-day -day affairs? He observes mine. God knows if any of us are lazy or slothful or industrious he knows what we do behind closed doors he sees everything that is taking place but in encouraging them he says in verse 2 I notice you can't bear those that are evil well none of us should be happy about evil people and we shouldn't be happy about evil things and when it says you can't bear them, he's talking about there in the church, you've got people that are doing things that are ungodly, and you are not tolerating that kind of a thing. And that's exactly how it ought to be. If you know someone is doing something that is, how will we, we describe it, is a public kind of iniquity and sin that brings reproach upon the Lord, then you have to deal with it. Even the Apostle Paul said that. And I realize nobody likes to be put in a position where you've got to be, you know, judgmental. But do you realize that there are times when if you've got two parties in a church and they're at war with one another, sometimes people have to sit down with folks. And if you have, as Paul says, someone in the church who's living a lifestyle that is contrary to Scripture, Paul said we have to be very careful about how we interact with that brother. To give you an illustration, if we had someone here in the church and in our fellowship where everybody pretty much knows one another, and I know pretty much everybody who comes out except for visitors and stuff like that quite naturally but if if we had someone running around town and claiming revival tabernacle as their church and me as their pastor and you as their congregation and then they started tiptoeing around on their spouse with someone else and then the rumor mill started and then actually it came out and it was true don't you realize somebody's got to have a talk with this person? That's biblical. 
Paul said, if your brother transgress against you, go to him. Said if he won't listen to you, she won't listen to you, take a brother or sister with you and then talk with them. Said if the person is defiant in their sin, well, you don't come tell me about living in adultery. If I want to cheat on my husband or cheat on my wife, I'll do whatever I want. You misunderstand me. I'm not telling you you can't do whatever you want. I'm just saying we can't take communion together. If you're going to be living like that, and if you're going to have that kind of a lifestyle, it'd be better if you find a place that puts up with that and encourages that. See, Paul said a little leaven breaks and destroys the whole lump. So he said if you have a brother in Corinthians who's an extortioner, who's a fornicator or an adulterer, he says not to even have a meal with that particular person. So coming back to verse 2, the Lord says, I know that you cannot bear them which are evil, and you have tried them which say they are apostles. So people claim titles all the time. I constantly run into people who want to be called apostle so-and-so or prophet so-and-so. And when, whenever I run into people like that, if I know their first name, I'll call them brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. And I mean, they get indignant. They get angry. How dare you disrespect me? I'm apostle so-and-so. Well, the scripture says, truly the signs of an apostle were done in your midst in all patience, mighty deeds, signs and wonders. So then I ask somebody, since you call yourself an apostle, tell me some of the things that you have done that represents the fruit in your life that says you're an apostle. Then by the time they're done talking, you realize you're not dealing with an apostle at all. You're dealing with an imposter. Many people want to assume titles that do not belong to them. Now, if I had a, a van and I drove up in your yard and it said Sutton's Plumbing Service, why in the world are you folks giggling? Okay, if, if it says Sutton's Plumbing Service, then I assume and you assume then if I've got a van that has that wording on it and I'm advertising that particular specialty, you expect me to know how to plumb. It, wouldn't that be correct? If you call somebody who's an electrician or somebody around town who's got a truck and they're pulling a trailer behind and it says so-and-so construction, if you contact them, then you assume that they know how to repair stuff. But there are a lot of people who have all kinds of titles and things on their vehicles. And then when you go and look at the work they've done for people, then you realize it's misnamed. It's not the same. Yeah. So this is what we have here in verse number two. The Bible says these folks call themselves apostles. I don't know if you've ever run into anybody who's who's done that you don't usually find those kinds of things out here but but you do find them in the uh in the city and then it says they are not and you found them to be liars oh my that's not good for a preacher <laughs> i mean that's not good for a preacher at all to be known as a liar 
when it comes to dealing with the word of God. And the Bible says we should not handle the word of God deceitfully. But I could stand up here and tell story after story after story of preachers that I have known that are deceitful. If there were 15 people at the meeting, they will swear there were 45. If there were 200 people there and six got saved, they'll swear there were a thousand people there and 400 of them were born again. And you wonder sometimes, why do people come up with that? And it's because they're trying to produce something that isn't true. Years ago, when we brought Hilton Sutton uh, out here the very first time, we, we got the auditorium over in Holdridge. And so we were working with a couple of other churches over there. I think the AG church over there and a few other independent churches and things like that. Well, there was one gentleman in one of those other churches who honestly believed he was an apostle. And he was one of these guys that, that thought that Pastor Darrell should come up under his authority and bring his churches under his authority so that he could be the apostle over our churches. I laughed. I laughed at him when, when this stuff came to me. How, you've got to be kidding me. Why would I take something that is the fruit of prayer and fruit of our labor and then give it to you just because you're assuming a particular title? See? Years ago, I helped a man have a crusade over in Mended and had a good crowd of folks that came out there that night. And I remember afterwards, he and his elders and his people invited Tiffany and I to come over to Kearney and to come to dinner. And we stayed in a hotel over in Kearney, went out to a restaurant, and then they unfolded what was to be their vision. They wanted me to bring our churches in the union with them and that they would be over me I said I appreciate you being a good friend but I don't think that's going to happen see there's always someone who wants to make themselves to be something that they are not the scripture here says the church tried them and saw that they were not apostles so all of us here in the church should be wise enough through the word of God to know the difference between good fruit and bad fruit, to know the difference between what is true and what is false, and not be misled by people just because they're charismatic and just because they seem to have a large following. All the years that I've been out here now, there's hardly a year or two-year period that goes by that I don't hear from somebody that says, uh, Pastor Darrell, we hear you're leaving, or something like that. And just year after year, I endure that and listen to people as they go through that. But do you realize that after two decades of preaching the gospel, I'm still here, and I've watched a whole lot of preachers come and go come and go. I've seen a lot of them come and go. And I've told our elderly folks, I said, I've been preaching to you for a long time and I'll be the one that buries you. The Lord tarries. See, and when the little ones get older, if, if I'm, unless I'm too feeble to stand up, I'll be the one to marry them. If they ask me to do it. 
The whole point is, once a person knows what they're called to do, then stay there and enjoy the blessings of God. Yeah. The church tried these people and found that they are not everything that they say. So the Lord says in verse 3, you're patient, and for my name's sake, you've been working very hard, and you haven't given up. You've had a lot of opportunities to backslide or grow weary, but you haven't fainted. And I know that would be the same for anybody in here this evening. You've had to face a lot of spiritual battles, a lot of warfare, a lot of attacks that are demonic, and the devil wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your home. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy you on your job. But you haven't given up. And because you haven't given up, he takes notice of that. He's watching you and he's watching me. Even on your most discouraged day or discouraging day of your life, you didn't throw in the towel. And even when I've had discouraging days and things come up and challenges are here, obstacles are here, snares are here, I just ask God to help me navigate those. But at no time do I want to give up the battle in walking with the king. Amen. The scripture says in due season you will reap if you don't faint. So just when you're, you're ready to say, I'm tired of this, I'm just, I just want to throw my hands up and give up, don't give up. Because God multiplies the grace in your life to cause you to continue moving forward. But in verse 4, he does say, I have a problem, though. You've left your first love. Now, that's, a, that's an interesting phrase in English, which certainly does capture the essence of the Greek, your first love. I wonder how many of us in here can remember their first love. I wonder who can remember their first kiss or oh, the first time they held someone's hands. Those things are unforgettable. And, and, and they're important to you. Now, typically, your first love is someone that you definitely never forget. You see? And when, when there's someone who has come into your heart and into your life, and you've given them access, put your heart into their hands, it is difficult for you to forget that person. Even when that relationship is severed and you move on and go in an opposite direction, you still have a memory. That's what I'm saying, a memory. Now, I was a, I was a uh, you, you folks out here use the word honorary. In, in Cleveland, we use the word mannish to, to describe a kid that was in trouble quite often. But I, I still recall the first time Mrs. Hope caught me in the coat room closet with little LaShawn Scott, and we were holding hands and kissing one another on the cheek. And Mrs. Hope thought, this is absolutely crazy. So, of course, Miss Hope was kind enough to tell my parents 
who were kind enough to tell me that this is never going to happen again. And just to make sure that I understood it wasn't going to happen again, they made sure they put a little fire on little Daryl's five-year-old backside. But you know what? When you, when you think about people in your past, do you realize you have some experiences that you never forget? Yeah. yeah. Through, the, through the years, I've had a lot of pastors invite me over to their house for lunch and for supper because they had a daughter that they wanted to see married back when I was single. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you better believe it. There was a lot of that going on. I'd preach in a church, and I mean, every night just seemed like somebody wanted to invite me over to their, their place. But one day, when I was in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and I was working in the mail room that day, and there was this pretty little girl sitting over there with another lady, and I watched over there and introduced myself to her and said hello, and Tiffany looked up and smiled. I was smitten. Now, I had had a lot of people in the past that I had known and people that I had met but I had never had any lady in my life that I couldn't live without until that one right there. I flew all the way to South America for a nine-month trip and worked with Wycliffe Bible translators, and she, my love for her, brought me back after six weeks. I just couldn't stand to be without her. And I still feel that way. So if something happens in between the day we met and now, and I depart from my love, then we've got to figure out what happened to cause me to no longer be in love with her. See, it's one thing to say, I love you. It's another thing to say, I'm in love with you. The two aren't the same. Two are the same. I love all of you as my family in Christ. I, I try to love my enemies best as I can. But I'm in love with her. That's a totally different thing. The Lord says to the church here, you have left your first love. And he's speaking of the love that they had for him. Somehow or another, with all of their labors, all of their patience, all of their discernment, they had eased out of the embrace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, once you lose your love for God, but you continue to labor for God, then your motives change. So now we're doing it just because I have to do it. See, if, if, if little Caleb is taking care of the church and, and, and Deacon Wood is taking care of the outside and the landscape and all of that because they have a love for the Lord, that's totally different than if they're just doing it because somebody asked them to do it. Because if you're just doing it because somebody asked you to do it, it's just a matter of time where if you don't keep your relationship right with God, you'll start murmuring and complaining and say, nobody even pays attention to me. They don't even understand the time that it takes for me to do this. And I do this and I do that. There's no thank you. There's no gratitude. And if you're not careful, 
You'll fall out of love with the people you worship God with. And pretty soon you'll fall out of love with God. It is possible to sit in church every week and backslide. Yeah. It's possible to watch Christian television every day and listen to Christian music and listen to radio preachers and fall away further and further and further and further from God. So here's what the Lord says. Verse 5. Repent. See? Remember, therefore, whence you are fallen and repent and do the first works. What did you do? What were you doing when you fell in love in the first place? Ah, don't you like that? Yeah. What, what were you doing when you fell in love? How did you know you were in love? Yeah. So it's the little things that we have to remind ourselves that we should do in order to continue in that relationship. And repentance means to change our mind, to change our attitude, which is a change of behavior. And sometimes we all have to do that because we'll take one another for granted. As Christians, we'll take one another for granted in the church. I could easily take for granted the fact that you come out on Sundays and Wednesdays and whenever else. And you could easily take for granted that I'm here to teach and minister all the time. But when we have a deep appreciation for God and for one another, that is an encouragement to everybody. See, to be in love and to know you're in love. And I think if, if God helps us to hold on to that, I think we'll be well on our way to maintaining our relationship with him when the trumpet of God sounds. Amen? No doubt about it, folks. That church at Ephesus had a lot to learn, and we also have a lot that we can learn, too. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We are so grateful for that church at Ephesus. They experienced one of the greatest revivals in history. In Acts chapter 19, but yet here they are with the man of God writing to them and saying that they've left their first love. Lord, may it never be so with us. Help us, O oh God, to stay close to you in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen, 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 Amen.